chapter 1. And then we're going to read from chapter 2 a little bit. There was a certain man from, from Ramathaim, a Zephyite, from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jehoham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. Zuf, what a great name, isn't that great? Zuf. Right, Zuf. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Penaniah. Penaniah had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord at Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of his meat to his wife Penaniah and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, his, uh, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband, Elkanah, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once, when they'd finished eating and drinking at Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now, Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord all for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, but her lips were moving, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I'm a woman who is deeply troubled. I have, been drink I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, go in peace and may the Lord of God of Israel grant you what you've asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went on her way and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning, they arose and worshipped before the Lord and they went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. And then in chapter 2, I want to, to read Hannah's prayer. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted up. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking uh, so proudly 
or let your mouth speak such arrogance for the Lord is a God who knows and by him deeds are weighed. The bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who were uh, full hire themselves out for food, but those who are hungry are hungry no more. She who was barren has borne seven children, but she who has had many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He sets them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. On them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful servants, but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Amen. Lord, from the story of Hannah, teach us. Inspire us. Whatever's in your plans and purposes that's on our heart too. Year after year, may we be persistent. Amen. Amen. Hannah's prayer was real. She was pouring out her soul, her heart to God. Consistently provoked at times, irritated by her rival, to keep on praying. Doesn't use the word fasting, but she gives up food at times. She's praying. She's earnest, pouring out her soul to God. Again and again we read uh, that, but uh, she would uh, express, cry out. She's, uh, she piles up in her misery prayerfulness. She's deeply emotional. She's uh, childless, barren, but she keeps on praying. She doesn't become disillusioned. She draws closer in her desperation to God. Where else can she turn? Even as she's being provoked, uh, wheedled, kind of niggled, kind of like uh, mocked, ridiculed, scorned, She knows that actually, even with her loving husband, it's not to him, ultimately, she should cry out to, but to her father in heaven. Hannah is deeply grieved. It's not going to be a long message. You'll be glad to know just some thoughts from along the way. One of the things I've, I, I gather from Hannah and I'm reminded of is, is what do we do when in crisis? What do we do when in crisis? Do we, um, do we go on social media and, uh, and, and vent to the great oracle of the internet? Uh, I just kind of am aware of sometimes what's going on and, and uh, you know, there's all sorts of worthy causes and interesting things put on there. But there's also often that cry of, of uh, either for justice or of grief or of frustration. It's amazing how many times people will post something that actually probably is more appropriately addressed to God. 
How do we respond in crisis? Do we keep coming back to the Lord? Or uh, I know in my own experience, sometimes I get, I think, where is God? Where is God when I've, I've kept praying? I've just been reminded of that kind of recently that for, a lot, for many years in my Christian work, I've been praying uh, for my mum to, um, to, to kind of turn to Jesus, to find Jesus, to uh, kind of be open to him, for her to discover the joy of the Lord in her life. And for years, saw nothing. And, and actually, kind of, that prayer became less and less regular in my own prayer life. They saw no change. And then I kind of slightly taken aback suddenly that she started going to chapel and she really enjoys it and she goes to a Bible study. And, and I'm like, when did that happen? <laughs> I'm so thankful the Lord is the one that is faithful and dependable. But it reminded me of the, the need for persistence that, that it, uh, we, we kind of overlooked it or it kind of trips off the tongue as we read it. Year by year, Hannah remains persistent in her grief. She didn't become disillusioned. She didn't become hard-hearted. She didn't just think, oh, well, this is my lot. She kept on coming back to the Lord of life, her Lord, of beseeching, of praying, and interceding, petitioning, persistence, as Phil spoke of last week from the parable of the persistent widow. That Hannah provides for us a model, even in the midst of struggle, where is God when we're being mocked and persecuted? Where is God when the answer doesn't seem to be at hand to keep on praying? She doesn't complain about God. She doesn't question him. Her faith remains strong. She carries on putting her trust in him. I'm amazed how quickly my own perception of God shifts. There's, there's that little phraseology that, that often, we, we don't actually use it so much, but in many places, God is good all the time, all the time God is good. Uh, I've used that in Africa, and I know at New Wine often they, they talk about it. It's, it's a, a great little uh, phrase, a great responsive prayer, but it's, it's one that we kind of keep on need to say because so often we actually doubt that God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. The doubt creeps in. That that kind of really, really is he good? Really is he perennially loving? Yes, he is all the time. Hannah knows that. Her faith remains strong. She continues to put her trust in him. Now, I know when we read the story like this and know what happens, who the baby boy is, it's Samuel the last of the judges, one of the, the great prophets, had the privilege of anointing the first kings of Israel, who uh, was a mighty man of God. It's, it's kind of easy to think in that moment, of course God is at work in, in Hannah, and Samuel is born, and Samuel grows, and hears the voice of God, and, and great things are accomplished through this story. It's easy to skip to the end and not recognize what's going on in the moment. That Hannah, think of who she is. She's the barren second wife of this guy. Now, I, I know that the Bible often um, kind of talks about uh, all these characters like Zuf. <laughs> Zuf, all these people. They're real people. 
Sometimes the Bible uh, is, is we, we sort of struggle with the Old Testament because it seems, how do you pronounce these words? And some of them can be quite kind of difficult to get. And, and uh, if you are called to read them, you can like, oh, gosh, I wonder, how do you pronounce all this? And you kind of wonder, why so much detail? Well, they are real people in real times, in real places. But the Bible is always recounting true events in true, real people. It's not made up. People like you and me. She, Hannah, addresses Yahweh, the Lord of hosts, the cosmic ruler, the creator, the sovereign one of every and all powers, of Israel and of all uh, the nations around. And in doing so, there's this wonderful reminder that it's, it, I just want to underline that in doing so, it assures us that the, the, that the broken heart of a relatively obscure woman in the hill country of Ephraim matters to God. And that litany of who she is, a relatively obscure woman from the hill country of Ephraim, not even an important place particularly, matters to God. That we matter to God. We matter. We often think of the Bible uh, characters as kind of major men and women of faith, and that's what they prove to be. But often it starts to remember they were just minor. They were the least and the forgotten, often the smallest and the most overlooked. And the Lord hears Hannah's prayer. God is good. All the time he is good. It's mind-blowing. God knows how many hairs are on our head and how many got lost down the plug hole in the morning. We matter. Hannah prays. Prayer is an acknowledgement of God's sovereignty and care. That it's to him, the great God, the good one, to know that it isn't too trivial. She pours out her anguish and her bitterness, not in aggression, but in prayer, in faith to God. She, she doesn't just stop. So Hannah reminds us to keep praying, to keep trusting in the goodness of God. But I, I also recognize in her that she just doesn't accept the status quo. This seems to be one of the hallmarks of, of the, the church. That faced with the reality of our world, the reality of our lives, the reality of circumstances, the stuff that we live in, it's not that we just kind of bide our time and tolerate it and kind of say, it's all a bit mixed up and broken and messed up and, and oh gosh, let's just escape it. Hannah reminds us that we don't just accept the status quo. We can campaign and write letters and, and all that is good, but, but first and foremost and beyond all those things, we pray. Because prayer 
is petitioning the cosmic great Lord of hosts, the powerful one through whose word everything came into being that says the status quo shouldn't remain. The powers of this age that are oppressive and controlling are to be unshackled and and that deliverance should come. Isn't that amazing? Prayer, Hannah's story reminds us, don't accept the status quo. What moves us? She was grief-stricken. She recognized the needs, her barrenness. She prayed in earnest. She poured out her soul to say, Lord, change it. Lord, move. Lord, work. Lord, work. Part of our prayer this week has been to say we don't want to accept the status quo. It's not all right how things are. Lord, change it. And the final thought that just sums it up is, is prayer is such a radical countercultural thing to do that it's a deep action of faith. Here's Hannah, childless, in a a dysfunctional relationship that she's being mocked and ridiculed. People are accused her of being drunk, all that kind of thing. What does she do? She prays. There's a really important lesson for us here. That is this, that... When we recognize in prayer that we're turning to God, we're actually posturing ourselves in dependency and weakness and calling out to the God of might to change the circumstance. So often, when we aren't in that posture, we are activists trying to change things ourselves. I'm not saying we, uh, we just kind of opt into passivism and don't do anything. But first is the posture of prayer. If we, can, if we think we can prevail by our strength, then we will pour our energy into the activity of changing things. But if we grasp the fact that we only prevail through God's strength, then we will pour that energy into prayer first. Do you see the difference? Because, as the psalmist said, unless the Lord builds the house, it, it's vanity. It's kind of labor that doesn't build something that will last. Hannah couldn't change her circumstance, neither the Lord to move. She didn't become despondent. She didn't give up. She didn't become, uh, kind of go off to other places and trying praying in other ways to other things, to other gods, trying other herbs or other kind of uh, rituals. She remained at the feet of God, petitioning, petitioning, praying, saying, change the status quo. And that posture was entirely right. It was looking up. Saying, where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord. She knew she couldn't change anything. But by prayer. She was a great example. Some from times, from time to time, I, I kind of look at 
when I'm thinking, how do I pray? How is my prayer life? I can gain real inspiration from looking at people who prayed. How did Jesus pray? How did Hannah pray? How did Paul pray? We were thinking about that this morning as Phil preached. That's all I want to say this evening. But I'd like to um, ask uh, Tim to come up with the band, be ready. Let's go back to the song, Strength Will Rise, as we wait upon the Lord, our God. But I want us to, to just kind of earth this in a little bit of reality about, about God. Uh, I'm going to... Uh, Mick prayed for um, uh, Roger this morning, thank you, and um, just felt moved to pray for Roger. Roger got bad back and just the, the Lord said, go and pray for him for healing, and the Lord healed Roger. And it was great, cause it, and then you shot off to pray. <laughs> I didn't even see you this morning. I was like, when he said that Mick, had, I was like, Mick was here, where's he gone? Um, but actually that really opened up other people responding in prayer, and Hazel's here. Uh, so Hazel, do you want to just say, share a little bit? You don't have to, do you want to get up? You can. There you, go. there you go. Just tell us, you came forward for prayer this morning. Yeah, this morning I could barely move when I came into church. I was bent double. I was in a massive amount of pain. And I couldn't even stand up to sing the hymns. And um, it's something that's been going on for a long time, my status quo, if you like. And you do get a bit despondent because you keep praying and nothing much happens. But this morning, um, when, when uh, Phil said, to, you know, go out for prayer, normally I'm one of the ones that goes out and does the praying I couldn't do that this morning, so I thought, hang on.